Welcome to episode two of the brand new season of The Rebel Entrepreneur, and we are exploring the second half of the pop-up principles. This is going to be fun. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Today, with me discussing the pop-up principles, I have the incredible Katie Coombs, one of the lead trainers at Pop-Up Business School and all-round legend. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Alan. Nice to uh, hear you tonight. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm having fun in Germany on lockdown, getting creative with the podcast, because when you can't do anything else, what better to do than create? Oh, I like that. Oh, let me write that down quick. I like that. I'm going to use that later. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because half the world go into lockdown and then consume. Oh. And I go into lockdown and I create. And I think that's a big difference in life, a big difference right there. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We've also got with us today, Mr. Simon Payne, my co-founder of the Pop-Up Business School. He's back. Sorry, who is this, please? I'm going to call the police if you keep contacting me. Who are you? <laughs> Alan, I'm so glad that you've asked me because I'm absolutely crackling with energy and uh, yeah. this is probably one of the best days I've had in ages. So um, I'm so yeah. happy for you, for you both, that you get to share it with me. What, what so, happened? What created this good day? The revolution begins from within, right? Mm, I love that. I feel like we're already touching on principles that are nothing to do with the list we're going to cover today. There's <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> nothing to do with it whatsoever, but I like it. The revolution begins from within. And I think that's a really interesting concept. I've just been reading a book on manifestation and without going too woo-woo, the idea that your thoughts and your ideas spur energy, which creates action, which brings things into your world. I think you're right. It all starts internally. It all starts with your thoughts, your ideas, and that's where all of these things are born. Well, like that. Oh, we it's heavy this. Early. Yeah, yes, we yeah. have. Sorry, I, I thought we were talking about the next show on Netflix to come out. I didn't realise we were going to have such a deep conversation tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I have just finished Bridgerton, by the way, and that is an exceptional series. Oh, so if you want something links. lighthearted, if you're uh, not looking to create, but you want to consume, I recommend Bridgerton. Oh, that'd be next on my list then. Definitely do it. Do it. It's a bit, uh, we'll a do bit saucy. Out. It's a little bit saucy. Oh, Those nice later episodes. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. A little bit. It's not PG. So there we go. Let's move on. We need to actually talk about this stuff because who's going to listen to us otherwise? Uh, so thank you for sticking with us this far. We're going to go straight into the pop-up principles. And Simon and I actually created these for the very first course that we ran in Western Supermare. And we wanted to put together what we thought were the key principles or fundamental operating beliefs that will help you to be successful moving forwards. And if you operate by these ideas, you'll make more progress, have more fun and make more money. And that's why we put it together. And uh, yeah, you did something beautiful. You actually sent me the original sheet where we'd written them all, Simon. Yeah, did you, did you like that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> It's unbelievable, wasn't it? A piece of history right there that's eight years and three months old. Exactly. Exactly. So let's start off with yours, Simon. Which one would you like to go to first? For anyone that's listening to this podcast right now that uh, or have at any point in your working life 
described yourself as a perfectionist, then this is the one that will rip through your heart in the same way that it did for me. Because if you go back to something <laughs> like 2010, 2011, something like that, and you and I, Alan, before Prop Up Business School happened, we were working on a couple of different projects together. And we would have a meeting, usually sort of um, halfway between us. So down on the South Coast, uh, halfway between Southampton and uh, Basingstoke, we'd meet in Winchester and we'd have a cracking business meeting. And uh, then I'd get in my car and I'd drive home again. And by the time I got home, you'd published a website and <laughs> you sent me the link. And I look at the website and I said to myself, like, Alan, I love you dearly, but you are borderline dyslexic. You've got all the mm. wrong words. You've got the wrong pictures. Uh, there are spelling mistakes all over this. The grammar police are moving in. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure you used to do it to me on purpose because then I had to log in and fix it all. Right. So I'm logging. So whilst I'm logging in and fixing it all, Here's the important bit. You've sold one. You know, you've had a conversation with a client by the time I got home and fiddled with my semicolons. And that was the bit that I think for me, that was one of my first sort of indications of that if you want to change the way you make money, you have to change the way you think. And when you've got an established organization, they've got lots of rules and regulations and processes and different teams for different things for a reason, because their risk is higher. They've got more to protect. So it's absolutely right that you can't be sticking things out to the website because they're getting 25,000 hits a day covered in spelling mistakes. Kind of comes across as unprofessional. But when it's your own thing, you've got no risk. There's no reputation to protect and done is better than perfect. And that's the principle. Finished is better than perfect. And I think, you know, time and time again, what happens is that we, and I do this myself still, I still catch myself doing it. I'm procrastinating because it needs to be perfect before I put it out there. But that's not true. It doesn't have to be perfect. You've got to stick whatever it is out into the universe and start making phone calls, sending emails. It doesn't matter if the email is perfect. Just get the damn thing sent. And I think you know that, that to me is the opposite to what it felt like when I was working in an organization with lots of risk. And I think that for me is one of the key principles because actually procrastination is masking fear. This is what I've learned. It doesn't have to be perfect to sell. It just needs to be done. If you don't ever finish something, you will never get those sales that you want. And when people are procrastinating because of perfectionism, it's usually because they're scared. And I get it. I've been scared. In fact, I'm still scared. I'm constantly scared. I think that's <laughs> what the process is like. So the principle that um, is very close to my heart, Alan, and caused me much pain around about 2010, is done, is better than perfect. And thank you for teaching it to me. When I came into your life, Simon, yes. Um, well, it's quite interesting. I keep repeating to everyone and myself, you cannot get to version two unless you release version one. And the quicker you release version one, the quicker you can get onto version two, because most of the time version one is rubbish. Uh, and just an example of that, for those of you listening to the podcast, you will have heard the new jingle for season two tonight at the start of the show. and. I just wanted to get the show done in the first season. So I found someone on People Per Hour. I wrote a script. I got a jingle. I launched the podcast and I did it. Was it perfect? No. Lots of you listeners have given me some pointy feedback about my cheesy American jingle or last season's one. Feel free to go back and listen to it. But the only way I could get to version two is by getting version one done. And that didn't stop 80,000 downloads of season one of this podcast. So it's unbelievable. If I hadn't have just got it done, it wouldn't be out there. And I think this is a critical principle. KC, anything to add? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a favourite one of mine too because I am uh, on the uh, the same wavelength as you, Alan. I can't really write that well or spell, and my grammar is awful too. So anything I write, it's usually it doesn't make much sense. So uh, <laughs> the idea of imperfect action is something that I have to keep. It's a mantra I have to keep telling myself. Take action, and it's imperfect. It doesn't have to be right. When I'm speaking to people about starting their own websites, and it was interesting that you mentioned the website. I always say, you know, when you get the first one out there, make sure you screenshot it. So get the first one, <laughs> yes. hit publish, and then take some screenshots because I want you to look at it in a year and uh, get those screenshots out in a year. And I guarantee you will put your head in your hands and you'll go, <laughs> oh my God, did I, re- oh, I can't believe, I can't believe that I published that. And if you feel like that, that shows how far you've moved on. And that's exactly how you should be feeling. But until you get that first, that ugly duckling, that first version out there, you won't get better and there'll be no progress. So I love uh, messy action, imperfect action. Getting started is better than getting it right. There's lots of ones around this. It's, I'm going to say a particular favorite of mine of the principles, but I say that about every single one, I think. <laughs> well, done is better than perfect. There's principle one for this episode. Done is better than perfect. So if you listening have been thinking about launching your website, launching your business idea, putting a post out about what you're doing, please stop listening now and go and do it. Obviously come back afterwards, but stop listening now and go and do it. Which brings us on to number two. KC, would you like to introduce the next one? Trust. The next one is about trust. The principle is the success of anything is built on trust. I mean, it's incredibly powerful, that line. The success of anything is built on trust. Mm. And it goes back for me to the, the sales piece that we talk about sometimes. The people buy from you because they know who you are. They recognize you. They know you. They like you. And they trust you. And really, if you can get all three things together you're more likely to make a sale. So there's the no, the recognition. Mm, I've heard of them before. I've, I've seen them on social media. I've seen their van in the area. Oh, I've heard of that brand. I've heard of that name of that company. They're around and about. There's some social proof. Other people have, have used them. They like you. I'm losing my voice here. So, uh, <laughs> so passionate about this. I'm losing my voice. I'm going to have to put a locket back in. They, they like you. Um, and of course, we have the edge here as small businesses. The, the businesses are us. We can be ourselves and we are likable people. So, you know, they've got to know, like you and trust you. Now, this brings me back to, um, there's two things I wanted to say about this, the know, like and trust. There are some companies that I buy from, but I don't tick that box on all three. And one is a airline called Ryanair. I don't know if you've heard of Ryanair. They are a super cheap <laughs> airline. Now, I know them. I've heard of them. I've seen their ads. Um, So I tick that box. I know them. There's the box of like them. I dislike them immensely. Yeah, I dislike Mm -hmm. that company a lot because they tend to hide their costs. It's very sort of basic. They're quite rude sometimes. So I don't like the like them. So that's a cross on like. But I trust them to fly me. So without the trust, it doesn't work. If I didn't trust them to get me there in one piece, there's no way I would book them. And this brings me on to something I wanted to, to mention. A few years ago, 2018, I had to sell uh, our family home. Um, it was in the beginning of 2018. Uh, my mum had to go into a care home at that time. She had dementia, started with dementia. And it was down to me to clear the family home and to, to sell it. It was a very emotional time and it was a very difficult process. 
And I arranged for the house that I, the only ever house that I knew from growing up to be cleared. I got a clearance company in there. They cleared everything out. And then I, I arranged for three estate agents to come around to value the house. So I, uh, I was there in the empty house, my family home. It's been in our family for 50 years at that point. It was empty. I hadn't even brought a kettle to make a brew. I was on my own, obviously full of memories, full of sadness with what was going on. And the uh, first estate agents arrived and they arrived on time. And they came in and they were very polite. They were two young people. They were very enthusiastic. They'd done their homework. They'd had all the printouts of all the different houses in the area that sold, what was happening in the marketplace. Uh, very efficient, very polite. They left me all the bits and pieces. They gave me a evaluation. They said what they thought it was worth. And then they left. Quite quick, very efficient. The next ones arrived on time. Again, two young people. They didn't bring anything. They didn't bring anything uh, printed out this time. They had iPads. They got their iPads out and they'd already arranged their documents. So they swiped through their kind of marketing plan. It was very impressive. They had graphs and charts. They'd done their homework. They were talking about what had been sold in the area. And so they gave me this little presentation on the iPad, stood in my, my family kitchen where I was like close to tears. And I was like, yeah, yeah, nodded. And one of the guys had a, um, a big camera on, you know, those big professional cameras. And I kept looking at his camera thinking, what's he got that for? He's brought his camera with him. I've not given him the job yet. And then he said, do you mind if I take some photos of the property while I'm here? And I was quite emotional anyway. And I just sort of went, yeah, okay then. I don't really know why I said okay, but I said okay. So he went around the house and started taking photos. Am I going on too long? Am I okay here? Um, <laughs> they, uh, it's a long story, but it's, it's, it's got a, it does come to an end at some point, maybe tonight or tomorrow. Um, they took some photos and um, then they left. And the, the next people were due in about 10 minutes. So I was walking around the house crying. And then I get an email on my phone. And they'd actually made a PDF sort of mock-up of a piece of marketing material for the house with using the photos that they'd taken. I thought, God, that's good. Wow, they're on it, aren't they? These young people with their PDFs and their photographs, and they've made that up in the car. They're keen. And they gave kind of an evaluation about the same the same in the first people. So anyway, I knew that the next one was coming. I'll see all three. Anyway, I was looking at the time, and, and they were late. They were late and it was like a one minute late. So I was looking for any excuse to leave at this point because I didn't want to be there. I thought, well, these, these second lot, they were good. They were on it. They had PDFs and cameras. They were keen. They were polite. And it was five minutes. So I thought, sod this, I'm going. So I start to lock up. It takes a while to lock up the house. It's got cameras. It's got um, locks on every door and window. It's in North Manchester. And I get to the front door. And as I'm getting to the front door and locking the front door, a woman kind of walks down the drive all flustered carrying a file and the, the papers are all flapping out the file and she's all flustered her hair's all over the place and she says hi hi I'm so sorry I'm late I'm so sorry I'm late so I turn around and I, I tell the fib really I said I'm sorry I've got to go I didn't have to go but I was had enough by this point and she was late so I thought well she can't be any good and she went oh okay I'm really sorry so I, I carry on locking up and she starts to walk up the drive with me as we're walking out and she turns to me and she turns to the house and she looks at me and she goes is this your family house so I said yeah she went, were you brought up here so I said, yeah, I was. She went, why are you selling? So I told her why I'm selling. I told her about my mum going into a home and uh, I had to sell it to pay for the home, to pay for the dementia care. So she asked which home. She tells me the same that happened with her mum, that they had to sell the family house. And um, she understood that, what I was going through. And we had a brief conversation and then she left. I had a card and I got in the car and I drove. And then after, after about five minutes, I stopped the car and I phoned her. I got the card out and I phoned her. And I said, Jackie, will you sell? our family house. So she said, yeah, absolutely. And I told her the valuation from the other two. And I said, will you send me all the forms? 
She went, yeah, absolutely. Because what happened there was she worked out what I needed. She was interested in me. She asked me questions. She empathized with me. She built rapport and I trusted her. She worked out what I needed was an empathetic estate agent. And she did that with a very brief conversation. And actually even being late, not being organized, not giving me a figure, not doing any PDFs or having a camera or even arriving on time didn't matter. What mattered is that I trusted her. And I think that that really sums up how important it is and how powerful trust can be. That's my story there, Alan. (laughs) I felt like that was a mic drop moment. You're exactly right. Trust is such (laughs) a powerful thing. And one's ability to inspire trust in others will lead to business. And I remember I was doing a pitch earlier this year and the person I was doing the pitch with me just looked at me and said, no one buys anything but confidence. I thought, oh, that's interesting. People are buying your confidence to deliver and they trust that you would deliver. So I just wanted to add one practical tip to the end of your story, Casey. I think actually this all begins with trusting yourself. So the way to develop the trust with others is to start by trusting yourself and working on doing what you promise you will to yourself. So if you are going to say, I'm going to do five sales calls tomorrow and you've promised yourself and you deliver on that promise, you'll start to believe your own words. And if you believe your own words, if you trust yourself, then others will trust you too. And I think that's one of the most important first steps to building trust. Simon, anything to add on trust before we move on to the next one? I just, again, I had a a practical application of this. So something that I've been uh, talking a lot about recently is... People sort of say, well, I'm just launching this business. We're doing the marketing stuff. So where do I start? And I said to them, well, the number one place to begin, if you've got this small business idea that you're putting out into the world for the very first time, or even if you're established and you've been doing it a while, if I was a betting man, I would say every single person listening to this have not maximized the opportunity to talk to people who already know them about their business. So if I was launching a business tonight, I would go through everybody in my friends list, my Facebook friends, not my real friends, you know, the Facebook friends list, the LinkedIn list, my Twitter followers, maybe even the black book, Alan, maybe I'll even blow dust off of, have you got a black book, Katie? You know, those names and phone numbers of the people that you met, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I have, yes. I know exactly what you got. <laughs> mean. Yeah, I've got one of those. I've not looked at it for a long time. <laughs> Either. You know, I think I'd start there. If I was launching a business tonight, I've got to go through all of this hard work to go and get people that have never heard of me before to visit my website or to hit me up on social media and buy something from me. I'm a complete stranger to them. So let's not start with them. Let's start with the people who already know us. Let's start with the people who have heard of us before, the ones we went to school with, the ones that we used to work with. So I'm encouraging people to go to friends, family, co-workers and go pitch your business to them first, because most of us have missed the opportunity to maximize those sales opportunities that exist within our close, our immediate and then next level networks. I was historically always bad at telling people what I was doing, Simon and Casey, always historically bad. I would never self-promote. And it took me a long time to get over the nervousness and the fear of telling people what I was doing or the fear of judgment. So that's actually a tough step going to tell the people you know the most, but they do have some trust because they know you. So interesting place to start. Yeah, I mean, no place worth going is ever easy. You know what I mean? Like the Maldives look absolutely stunning, but I've got to get to the airport. Then I've got to get to the plane. 
then I've got to get a plane to place and then I've got to get another plane and then I've got to get a boat and then I've got to walk. I mean, it's quite a, it's quite an epic journey to actually get to a nice place at the Maldives. But when you get there, it's awesome. And I think, you know, for me, I, look, it is difficult. I get it. But going back to what you were saying about trusting yourself first, it's just a human connection. It's a conversation. And I'm, I'm not saying that you have to go and become double glazing salesperson or, or car salesperson with the people in your network. There's soft selling. Like I'm ringing you. I'm going, well, it's been ages since we chatted. What are you up to? What are you working on at the moment? I've just launched a business. I'll tell you what would be great. Could I just test my pitch out on you? Because I'm still new to this and I don't really know what I'm doing. Let me just test this pitch. See what you think. Well, how can I make that better? You know, there's those sorts of conversations that can be had. And actually, you may or may not get a sale from that. But that's exactly where I'd start. And I know it's tough. But nobody ever died from ringing a previous co-worker or a friend. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> you, know what I mean? you can go. You can go home press. for your tea, can't you? Afterwards, yeah, yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. They're not going to go. I can't believe you're ringing me. I'm driving to your house now to shoot your kneecap. So they're not going to do that. They're going to go. No. Well, it's great to hear from you. Or they're going to go. Oh, it's you again. <laughs> Whatever it is, they're going to say. But it's going to be all right. You can take a deep breath and go. I can confidently say that lives will not be lost from this phone call. So no one died from call. embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've come close a few times. But <laughs> uh, so principle two, trust. It's all built on trust. I love that. Which actually brings us along nicely to number three, which is give. Now, this piece of advice I'm going to give here is one of the ones that my friend Bryce says is one of these incredibly valuable but useless pieces of advice. And what he means by that is if I tell you to go and add value to other people's, he says, well, that's incredibly useless when you don't understand what it is. But when you've got it, it's the most valuable piece of advice around. So what is actually adding value to other people? What is giving? The way to get truly wealthy in this world is to give enough value to other people. And if you help enough other people get what they want, you can have anything you want in life. And that is the foundation, the core of a business, of everything we do, is by giving value. And yes, we're asking for money in return. Yes, we're asking for the sale. Yes, we're asking for the work. But we're giving more than we're asking for. We're giving energy. We're giving smiles. We're giving products that help people. We're giving service. We're adding value to the other person's world. Now, one of the key words here is the word value. And I'd love your ideas on this, Katie and Simon, is what is valuable to one person is not valuable to others. And I think at the fundamental level of this give part is you've got to understand what is valuable to other people. And there's only really one way to do that, which is to ask them what they care about, ask them what they're struggling with, ask them what they're in trouble with. I mean, how would you go about finding out what value you're best to give to the world, Simon, Katie? I tend to throw everything in the kitchen sink at it, Alan. Well, I go out of my way to help to help people. And I would say probably to a fault, you know, because we help at the moment directly. People that come on our courses, we train two and a half thousand people a year at the moment. And when any of those people send me an email or drop me a message on social media and say, like, I just want to run something by you. Could we have a quick chat? The answer is always yes. I realise I'm setting myself up for a fool here, aren't I? <laughs> you get so four and a half thousand emails a day. But Simon, I just want to run something by you. <laughs> um, but uh, I think 
what I've noticed from that, and the reason that I still do it with an open mind and an open heart, is that it makes me a better coach. It makes me a better mentor. It teaches me things about business because, you know, when you help other people, whether it's for payment or not, you always get something back, don't you? It might not come back directly. This is a Zig Ziglar thing, isn't it? It's a remind. It's a Zig Ziglar quote, or reminds me of that. Um, well, that definitely is the quote. If you help enough other people get what they want, you can have anything you want in life. That is directly from Zig Ziglar, and it's kind of one that we've built a lot of what we do on in business. Simon is we help people get what they want, and actually, I think any business, I don't care what business it is, they help people get something they want. And if it's an iPhone or a phone, you're helping people stay in touch. You're helping people take photos, capture memories, live their life. If it's Netflix, you're helping people be entertained. You're adding value to the world and the people around you. And that is the way to wealth, is adding value and giving to the people around you. I think there's a, there's a saying as well, which is givers get lucky. And I, I particularly like that. The idea if you give more, give extra. I mean, the idea of kindness, positivity, generous being generous and, you know, good energy when you're selling, when you're serving your customers. Givers do get lucky. The people that give just seem to be happier. They get more back. It's a great way to live your life. I love that. I absolutely love that. I would just have one little sub point here, which is I've met so many deserving people that don't get what they deserve. And you don't get what you deserve in life. You get what you ask for. And the danger with this one over the years of running the courses, we've got people excited about giving and supporting and adding value. And they go out there and do it. And they're excited and they give away and they feel great, but they don't get anything in return. And they're wondering what's wrong. And there is a little bit of, you have to ask for what you want in life as well, because you don't get what you deserve. You get what you ask for. So if you don't ask for the sale, if you don't ask for the money, if you don't ask for support, ask for help, if you sit there deserving, it doesn't just come to you. So there is a really important asterisk and caveat that says you've also got to focus on what you want. Like there's no point giving at the cost of yourself because you won't be able to continue to give. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, <laughs> Love um, that. you know, the answer will always be no, unless you ask. My pal Mike used to talk about this really nicely. He, he drew three circles on the wall for me once and he went, you've got selfish people who are really, really good at getting what they want. And then you've got selfless people who give away all of their time and they struggle to get what it is that they want because they're too busy helping others. But somewhere in the middle, there's probably a, you know, smart people that passed maths will probably know the, the Venn diagram thing here of the, the self-interested where you go, I'm going to go out of my way to help other people, but I'm going to do it in a way that kind of overlaps what I want from life too. And that means that I'm fully aligned with everything that's going on. Yeah, that is excellent. But I would like to pause there. You have a friend, Simon. <laughs> well, I think they've rejected me now, but they were a friend for a while. <laughs> he makes them up. <laughs> <I've got> evidence. <laughs> He's a special friend. It's a, yeah, it's a special them. friend, but you can't see them. You're bloody rude today, aren't you? <laughs> I'm in a cheeky mood, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> so principle three is give, give. That brings us on to four. Simon, would you like to introduce number four for today? Uh, yes. No, look, number four is the starting point when someone says to me, Simon, I'm struggling with my business and I'm not getting the results that I want. And I go mm. through this set of diagnostic questions and I go, 
you haven't got the right to say that your business isn't working yet until you can stare me in the eyes and answer me these questions in the way that you know I want them answered, right? And they shift uncomfortably in their seat. And then they go, okay, hit me. And I say, right, question one, have you focused on one business idea or are you trying to do 11 things at once? And this is when the, <laughs> the creatives shift in their seat. They go, uh, <laughs> and I get it. And I know it's tricky and, and the, the devil's in the detail and I, I'm being flippant, but no, this is a really important thing. And I, I remember this uh, a while ago. I can't remember who said it. You get what you focus on. It's that simple. You get what you focus on. And this works at a personal level in terms of our thoughts. You know, what thoughts are you focusing on? And it works at a business level. What activities, what actions, you know, which direction is your business headed? So question one, business diagnostic question number one, have you focused on one business idea or have you got a whole bunch of things going on? Question two, within that business idea, have you focused on one product or service first? And I think for those people that, I mean, I know that your listeners that you've had so far, Alan, the listeners of The Rebel Entrepreneur are smart people. And there is something to watch out for, which is called smart person paralysis. And you can gather what that is. And I've just made that up, by the way. And smart person paralysis means you can see the potential of your business idea. And then you get paralyzed because of all the things that it could become. And that prevents you from making your first sale. Right. So, for example, the life coach that says, I'm going to do one to one coaching. I'm going to run workshops. I'm going to do stuff in schools. I'm going to train people with the coaching stuff that I know. And I can't wait to get my YouTube channel off the ground. And I'm going to do online where people can log in to a virtual coaching program. And they're all of those different aspects to the business. And then they, they almost pass out with an overwhelm. And it's because of a lack of focus. So I, I say to people, focus on one business idea, focus on one product or service first, and then focus on the customer who is most likely to buy what it is that you're selling. Because the other reason that you're probably not getting the results that you want is that you're trying to put it in front of lots of different types of customers. Therefore, your marketing isn't tailored for anybody. You're just adding to the noise. And it's, you know, there is a whole debate, a different subject about niche marketing. But the thing for me is you're not going to get the results that you want until you focus. So this principle, it's all about your focus, baby. <laughs> it is all about your focus. Uh, and this is definitely what I struggled on when I was launching a business because I had umpteen ideas and tried to launch them all at once. And I did a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of the other and then made no progress on any of them and wondered why I wasn't successful. And the quickest way to make progress is to focus relentlessly on one thing and drive it through. Yeah. Any tips on focus, Casey? Yeah, the overwhelm is real, isn't it? The overwhelm definitely is real. When you're starting or when so you're running a business, it never stops. There is so much that the potential of things, what you should be doing. I always imagine it as a big ball of wool. You know, it's all like knots and different things you can pull at different times. And I do a little bit of marketing, a little bit of sales. Oh, I'll go and have a look at that spreadsheet again. Or I'll phone so-and-so. Uh, I'll put a wash on and then I'll do this and then I'll do nothing. And then at the end of the day, I'll, what have I actually achieved? Absolutely nothing because it's just bits and pieces. And I would gravitate towards the things that I would most be most comfortable doing as well. So I would gravitate towards the, the marketing side of things or the sales side of things because that's where I felt most comfortable. And it is really about stripping it right back and just going for one thing at a time. And especially what Simon was saying about having lots of different ideas and especially when you see the potential of an idea. You know, ideas are messy 
and ideas are exciting when you've got a good one. And when you have an idea for a business or um, a project and you can see the potential of it and it unravels in front of you. I mean, it's exciting and overwhelming all at once. And then the paralysis of where to start because it can be so many different things. It really have to draw all the way back, go right back to the beginning, keep it small, take a small step. It's almost baby steps to get going. But yeah, I'm with you. Focus on one thing at a time. Which actually brings us on to the fifth principle of today, which is the one, Simons, you say that I embody quite well. It's have an unrelenting drive to make stuff happen. That didn't used to be in our list of principles and I changed it. I think I changed it when you went on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reverse of an unrelenting drive, isn't it? <laughs> well, no, I think what happened was that you went on holiday and then nothing really happened for a few days. And I went, oh, <laughs> hang on a minute. I'm convinced that if you look at the bank balance of the business and look at our personal bank balances, they're a, a lag measure. You know, if it was a KPI, it's a lag measure of when we are operating with an unreasonable sense of urgency to get things done. Mm. And I think I've always noticed that when, like, you know what it's like, we all have good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks and months when we're like, like at the moment, first and second week of a new year, I'm tearing through my to-do list, like Sonic the Hedgehog on crack. You know, I'm so motivated at the moment. And I know that there will be a lag measure. I can look at the impact of what's, of what I'm doing right now and what we're doing as a team right now, I can look at the impact of that in about eight months' time and it'll be on the balance sheet. Like I've known this and I've, you can feel it. You can just feel when things are, are happening, whether whether that's yourself or whether you're lucky enough to have co-conspirators or maybe even a team of people around you. You know, you can feel it. I think the important thing you said there, Simon, which everyone needs to realise is it's lag indicator. And what lag means is there is a time gap between you putting the effort in and the results coming later. And it's a bit like planting a seed. You plant a seed and you will do the work, but nothing shows up for ages and then eventually it starts to grow. And it's a bit like sales. It's a bit like marketing. You have to make all the calls. You have to do all the work. You need the drive to make this stuff happen but it's not going to show on your balance sheet. It's not going to show in your bank balance on day one or day two or day five. Sometimes it will take 90 days to show up, but you need to have that unrelenting drive to make it happen consistently every day. And this is not something I was born with. This is something that I developed with a desire to get things done and the desire to make things happen, help people, make money, make a difference. And I got pumped and excited and wanted to make it happen. And I have directly realized that my energy and my effort and my words and my learning affect all of my results in life later on. So the work I'm doing now, it's 9.24 on a Sunday night in Leipzig in Germany, and I'm recording a podcast with my two friends, Casey and Simon, and we're putting the time and effort in but the results aren't going to show up for another month until this is launched. And then the results for the people listening to it aren't going to show up until they start to put it into effort. And it's interesting, but it has to start with your energy and your drive to make things happen. So any tips, Simon, on how you develop an unrelenting drive to make things happen? Drugs. No, I'm just kidding, kids. (laughs) The drugs don't work. They just make you You're talking about caffeine, hopefully. Yes. (laughs) 
I tell you, there are two uh, things that have the biggest impact on my ability and having that drive. No, maybe three things. But the two things that pop into my head are, the first is actually was a James Clear tactic that you shared with me probably six years ago. Do you remember that thing Mm. about chucking the paper clips in the cup? Yep. Do you know what? That was absolutely uh, business changing. And if no one's familiar with that technique, if you've not read Atomic Habits or dived into James Clear's book, the tip was when you've got stuff that you need to do, stick a paperclip in a glass every time you do one of those things. And at the time for me, that was sales calls and sending sales emails. For some reason, it had become a bit of a frog, you know, sort of getting motivated. And, you know, I'd I'd left my job. I was working differently. I was working from the kitchen table and you know, my kids were clambering all over the table and sitting on my laptop whilst I was trying to do send emails and so on. And just getting to that place of feeling motivated, self-motivated when you're used to working in another, in another way that I found that tough. I, I, I'm not a natural work from home kind of guy. So I chose Moshi Monsters, these little plastic characters that my, uh, <laughs> that my kids had. I raided Harry's bedroom and instead of paperclips, because I thought they were a bit boring, I used these Moshi Monsters. And every time I I had two Irish coffee glasses, and every time I sent a sales email, I put a moshy monster in this in the email glass. And every time I made a phone call, I put a moshy monster in the the phone call glass. And then you can see the glass filling up with every call you make and every email that you send. And by the way, I, I self policed, so I had to actually speak to an actual human, the person that I was trying to ring, not just leaving voicemails. You know, it had to be a, a meaningful conversation. And the email didn't count if I got it out of office. It had to be an email that uh, that landed. And, you know, very quickly, the, the Irish coffee glasses fill up and then you can make a choice. You can give yourself a reward for all of your achievements or you can keep going. And the first day I did it, I decided to give myself a reward, uh, which was an Irish coffee. And then that uh, did my productivity <laughs> um, at the Nice because it was 9.45 in the morning. So the second day I learned from that, Alan. <laughs> and uh, the second day I gave myself a coffee without the whiskey in it. And then, hey, presto, my productivity was in good shape. So that that was really, really powerful for me. And then the second tip, which is linked to this, which is something called the Pomodoro technique, I found absolutely brilliant. And you end the day by writing your to-do list for the following day. What stuff do you want to achieve tomorrow? And then you wake up the next day and you work in 25-minute bursts. You have a five-minute break, 25 minutes, five minutes off. And then after two or three hours and you can make a decision, you know, how long you want to work for, then you take a 30 minute break and then you go again. I've had some of the most productive days of my life by just little things like that. And I guess the premise behind it is it's understanding your biorhythm. It's knowing when you're at your best. And it's also being honest with yourself and going, well, am I actually going to do the work that I need to do? Or do I need some kind of either internal or external support to make it happen? And like in the early days of the pop-up business school, it was you and I in a cafe with Henry and a laptop and 73 cups of coffee. When we were working together, that's when we found the energy to really make stuff yes, happen. You know, definitely, definitely. And I'll just build one last point in there that has really hit me over the years. And I never really realized this until probably about six or seven years ago, it really struck me. And that is, you don't get motivated to do something. You get motivated by doing something. And what I mean by that is if you sit on the couch and wait for motivation to come, you'll be waiting a long time. And so many people just say, I'm just not motivated today. I just can't do it. I just don't have the energy. Well, you won't until you start. 
And that's the crazy bit. If you can just start, you'll get motivated. You get motivated by doing it. You get motivated by seeing the first thing happen, by moving the Moshi monster across, by making those bits of progresses. That's where the motivation comes from. So stop waiting for motivation to hit you because it's not going to hit you. You have to start and that is where you'll locate the motivation. So I think about five times this podcast, I've told people to stop listening and get on with it. Like if you want to make things happen and feel motivated, start. Turn off the podcast, stop listening to Casey, stop listening to Simon, definitely stop listening to me and go and do stuff. And that is how you will find that motivation and energy. So that is principle number five from today is have an unrelenting drive to make things happen. Which brings us on to the final one of the podcast, which actually I think is the one that inspired me a huge amount to build the pop-up business school. But it's on your list, Casey. God, it is, yes. It's a big one. It's a biggie. It's what everything's built on, I think. Having a business is about having money, not owing money. This is about not going into debt, not borrowing money, not taking a startup loan, staying away from debt. It's so fundamental to everything we talk about. Because once you attach big money, once you attach a loan and repayment schedules and interest to your ideas, once you attach debt to your dreams, you're in for a rough ride. You've got to pay that money back. You've got to work out who your customers are. You've got to sell them stuff. You've got to work out how much money you need to live. And then you've got to work out how much, when you're going to pay this money back. It needs to go back to the person that's lent it you. It causes so much stress. It stops businesses. It stops businesses being successful. There's all sorts of statistics even about startup businesses. And one of them is that eight out of 10, eight out of 10 businesses don't survive the first year. And it's an awful thing to think about when you're about to start a new business. That there's an 80% chance that you won't be here in a year running this business. I usually say that statistic at some point when I'm teaching the pop-up business school. But then I also say that with pop-up business school businesses, businesses that are built without debt, businesses that aren't built on a loan, businesses that are started in passion, about passion or practicality with practicality, those businesses that are started at pop-up business schools, 90%, nearly 90% of them are still trading 18 months later. And I honestly think the reason for that is because there isn't a repayment schedule in there. There isn't a You've got to pay the bank back this much on this date that actually you can start small. You can start with one foot in front of the other. Not long ago, a friend of a friend came to me and uh, he's got a big corporate job. He works for a publishing house and he's like one of the big bosses, I would say. And he said to me, I am miserable. I am sick of it. I hate it. And I want out and I want my own bookshop. I've saved up and I'm going to take a loan. I've written a business plan and I'm going to start this bookshop. I've got absolutely everything sorted. What do you think? I was like, oh God, alone. I'm wincing. Like, yeah. Yeah. I have, yeah. And a bookshop. He said, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a community bookshop. I want to get out of the corporate life. So I said, well, you're going to have to unlearn everything from your corporate life. So he's like, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I said, the loan, why are you taking a loan? So he said, because I need the lease. I need to buy the stock. I need to get it refitted. And I just need this money to do it. So we had a long chat where I convinced him not to take the loan and to start small. And I think after this chat, and he agreed with me at the end, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. But he felt he sounded deflated. 
And I think he was excited and he'd had this vision in his head of this, this bookshop that he was going to take the loan, take his cash and start this bookshop. And it was a dream, a picture, a film in his head. And he was using it to get him through his miserable days at work because he wanted out. He hated the culture. He hated the people. It was killing him inside. And he was using this dream, this fantasy of this community bookshop to get him out. But I said, what you're going to do is attach all that money to it. You're going to worry it to death. Start small and build from there without the debt. And you know what he's done? He started a Facebook reading group. That's the start Mm. of his community bookshop. That's step one. Now in a year's time, who knows where he will be. But right now he's staying in his job and he's working on his Facebook group and he's building his community and he's building his people, his tribe, his followers. So when he's ready, he can start to commercialize that, start to make money from that, save that money and build up his business. And that's really the pop-up business school way. Stay away from debt. That old school way of start a business, take a loan, write a business plan. I mean, who made up those rules? Who made up those rules? Where did they come from? But it's accepted in the world. So yeah, stay away from debt, kids. I love that, Casey. I couldn't have said it better myself. The reason I have so much passion around this particular subject is my dad was an entrepreneur. He racked up a lot of debt. I think it was about £3.6 million. It's about $5 million. And the only thing it was secured against was the family home, which me, my brother and my mum lived in. And uh, the bank was relentless in trying to take our family home and kick us out. And I don't want anyone to have to go through the pain that I had to go through fighting to try and keep a roof over the head of our family because of the debt that my dad took on. And you do not have to go through that. There are so many ways to build a business without debt. And if you want to get into that subject, please go back to the second episode of season one, which is five ways to build a business with no money. That is going to show you everything we're talking about. Having a business is about having money, not owing money. And there are the pop-up business school principles. <sighs> what a journey. So any wrap-up closing thoughts, Casey and Simon, before we tell the lovely audience what's going on at Pop-Up Business School, the rebanding, the courses that are coming up, the coaching episodes. God, we've got a lot to share. Any closing thoughts before we uh, dive into what's next? I um, was going to share the worst piece of business advice I ever received. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The worst piece of business advice I ever received was from a gentleman called Paul. I won't say his full name. He was a director in charge for a big advertising agency, a big global advertising agency where I used to work. So before I had my own business, I worked in advertising. He was very successful and I really liked Paul. He's a a nice guy and he was my boss for a, a number of years. And one day we had a particularly difficult situation with a client it all got a bit complicated. It was a bit, he said, she said, um, there was some confusion around a campaign that we were putting together and I had to go into his office, DIC, director in charge. The acronym for that is quite a fun one. And, um, I went and sat in uh, the director in charge's office, Paul's, and I said, what are we going to do about this? And I took all the, the different emails we'd had and the different ad ideas and I was telling him what was going on. And he sat there and he scratched his chin and he went, Katie, do you know what we should do? I was like, no, what should we do, Paul? He went, we'll do nothing will do nothing. I was like, really? Yeah. He said, just take all this stuff, go back to your desk and we'll do nothing and we'll just leave it. So I said, all right then. And I kept that. 
I thought, that's what you do when things are complicated, when you don't know what to do next, when you feel a bit overwhelmed, do nothing. I'll do what Paul says. He's the director in charge. And I kept that for years. And in fact, I told other people, if you don't know what to do, do nothing. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, do nothing. And it took me quite a few years to work out that actually what you really should do is the exact opposite of that. If you're not sure what to do, do something. Try something, anything to see if you can put the situation right, if you can move forward or if you can solve a problem. So there you go. That was my worst piece of business advice ever. Wow. Wow. Simon, what's the worst piece of business advice you've been given, uh, unless it was from me? Oh, you just stole my thunder, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it was coming. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think... um... It's probably something I told myself, to be honest. <laughs> you know, you know what it's like. We've both, all three of us, have had a gazillion ideas over the years, and some of them we've dabbled with, some of them we've had to go at properly, some of them we've really leaned into, and we've had mixed results. And I think looking back, there's a whole bunch of mistakes in there, but that's the process, isn't it? And it isn't really about making mistakes. It isn't really about failing either. You're just gathering data on what doesn't work. And, Mm. you know, the the faster that you gather the data on what doesn't work, the more likely you are to get the results that you want, the luckier you seem to become. Thank you for that, you two. I love it. So, Simon, the podcast is rebranded. We've got a shiny new logo and all that stuff. So uh, please check out the website. Go to choosefi.com forward slash rebel. Or there's a new page I built on my own website, alandonagan.com, which will show you all about the new stuff at Rebel. But that ties into what's going on at Pop-Up Business School. What is going on at Pop-Up, Simon? Alan, that's a question I ask myself on a daily basis. (laughs) (laughs) What what on earth is going on? I thought you were in charge, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who runs this business? Who's in charge here? Yeah, what's going Henry. on? Well, we've got um, we've got a very exciting year coming up. We've successfully navigated the choppy waters of 2020 and turned ourselves from an events company into an online training company on a sixpence. And, and massive credit to the team for making that happen. So we've we've delivered 20 less courses in 2020 that we did in 2019, and we've helped the same number of people, which I think is a phenomenal achievement. So we're just looking to build on that success, really. And the key thing is that. For us to be able to have the global impact that we want to have, we needed to have a brand that matched the ambition. And if you look at the branding of the Pop-Up Business School, if you're a branding expert, you'd probably say, it's a bit of a mess. There's quite a few things going on. And by the way, your logo looks like someone on People Per Hour did it for 15 quid in 2011. Easy. I got that done. (laughs) Well, done is better than perfect, Alan. You're demonstrating (laughs) the principles. Version Um, one got us this far. It did. And it's it's been phenomenal for us. And I think we're now looking at sort of the next stage. And uh, I had a couple of too many glasses of wine one night and I sent a cheeky email to the managing director of a creative agency based in Scotland. And I admired their work. And in fact, one of their clients is a very famous client. And I thought, well, they're going to be too expensive for us. So I sent her an email and said, I told her, I said, you're going to be way too expensive for us. But I'm just contacting you to say, we're at the start of a rebrand journey. And uh, I really admire your work. And best of luck for the future. And she messaged me back (laughs) that night. And uh, their head of client services rang me on Monday morning and said, let's have a chat. And I said, look, I know you're going to be way too expensive for us. But this is the direction that we headed in. I wondered if you could recommend anybody. And 
that was the start of a beautiful friendship and a nine-month project with the awesome guys in Hampton Creative Agency based in Aberdeen in Scotland. And the result of that piece of work actually is hugely exciting. And it's actually a name change. Can you believe that? A name change after eight years of being the pop-up business school, we're going to be called something different. And in fact, the original name for the pop-up business school, and I don't know if you remember this, we actually said back in about 2011 that we were going to become the Rebel Business School and that's what we were going to start. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. That is exactly what I wanted us to be called. And then, yeah, we couldn't get the money to actually set up a full business school, so we decided to do a pop-up version, hence the name. But we're actually finally there. Yeah, we're finally there and it's sort of come full circle. And, and that's what we are. And that's what all of the listeners to the podcast are, rebel entrepreneurs, because they said that we were done for teaching people to start a business without any money. They said you shouldn't be teaching people that because you need money to start a business. There are still organizations and people that say to us, you need a business plan and you need money and they just don't get it. And it's actually, you know, over the years, We've had to fight a few battles and we continue to fight those battles, but actually it's the perfect name. We are the Rebel Business School and we are all about the fact that anyone can start a business when we're making it possible for anyone who wants a business to have one. And that to me is hugely exciting. And, you know, have a look at our website and all of our events, by the way, you'll be able to pick them up from the new website as and when it gets launched. But the Pop-Up Business School currently uh, has an events page with all of our upcoming events You'd be very welcome. They're completely free to attend. And we don't do any of that nonsense upselling either. You know, that thing that sometimes happens when you go to free courses. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. You can sign up for our £25,000 coaching program, but there are only six spaces. So make sure you're not uh, missing out on that. We don't do any of that stuff. All of our events are completely free. And in the fullness of time, you'll see some, can I say, and Katie, you'd be very much part of this journey with us. Can I say some very sexy branding? is going to be arriving into the universe very soon. I'm excited. I'm excited. About I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I've already excited. seen it, so I know. I'm excited. I know what it looks <laughs> like. It looks fantastic. <laughs> Sexy. So the new brand is coming. The courses are available. Check out the website. Please feel free to have a look at the courses. That's all going on. And we've also got on the podcast, we now have the Thursday coaching episode. So if you want to tune in there from episode one, you'll be able to hear as I work with real life entrepreneurs and help coach them through their journey and getting clients, building their businesses and making money. And we do it over time so you can see the problems they're facing at the same time you're facing them as well. And the questions I ask the entrepreneurs on the show will be the same ones you need to work through for your business. So please check out the coaching episodes and let me know what you think because we've never done it like this before. So I really want to know what you think. And actually, Christina, who's the lady I'm coaching for the first set of shows, I first started coaching her in July of 2020. So we've been going about six to seven months already and you'll be able to hear the journey and the excerpts of the journey on that series. So please do check that out. That's the end of episode two. Episode three, we have a huge one for you. I've got Zev Siegel, who's one of the co-founders of Starbucks, telling the story of how he built some of the furniture for the first ever Starbucks in his parents' basement, what he learned launching, how they grew it, and some incredible lessons. So I'm really excited to share that with you. We've got episode four. We have a Silicon Valley expert, Jennifer Vessels, coming in and busting the myths of Silicon Valley. 
and showing us really what it's all about. And I'm so excited about that. I didn't think I'd find someone who's so closely aligned with our values. It's going to be really interesting. And then we got the whole of season two in front of us. Thank you to listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Casey, Simon, thank you for coming on, sharing your energy, wisdom and inspiration. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. I loved it. Pleasure. Love it. Love you. (laughs) I love Love you you too, Simon. I love Uh, both of you so much. Love you more. I'm slightly uncomfortable. If you're listening to this, please leave now and go and make things (laughs) happening. Uh, Go and make things happening. Go and do something. Make some money. Take the uncomfort away. Good night. Goodbye. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.